This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 377, The Confidence, Creativity, and Flexibility Encore. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back to the program. I'm Jason Lynette, and let me now walk you through exactly what you are about to listen to. That it is Monday morning, June 6th, as I'm recording this intro, and the backstory was that I was actually going to wake up a little early and do a version 2.0 of a previous episode that got a lot of great attention, created some waves within the industry, and to kind of prepare for the version 2.0, I listened to the original one. And I kind of then nodded and went, yep, we're doing an encore, which for those of you that may be new, and we've only maybe done this four or five times out of the nearly eight years that we've been doing this program, an encore, Work Smart Hypnosis episode, is a fancy way of saying, get ready to listen to a replay, or as uh, TV used to call it, a rerun. However, it's an episode that when it first came out, kind of created some waves within the industry and was kind of inspired by a number of different conversations that I've had over the last couple of months, whether it's at a conference or inside of the various communities that are now online, or even as I'm recording this, we're just a few hours away from diving into the Do Hypnosis Anywhere five-day challenge for confident online hypnosis, which is all about how do we modify the hypnotic process to become just as effective, if not even more, online. Yes, that event is actually, as this episode drops, already running, but you can actually get access to the replays, the resources, everything by going to dohypnosisanywhere.com. So back to this theme, though, of confidence, creativity, and flexibility, and the reason why we are about to do an encore of this previous episode. It's that so often the brand new hypnotist, or really honestly, even the seasoned hypnotist, the working professional, would fall into this trap of kind of, I know this is not a word, protocolizing, you know what I mean, Uh, turning into a protocol all these different issues, when instead all personal change comes back to four simple questions. How are you feeling now? How would you rather be feeling? What are those things you're doing now? What are those things that you would rather be doing? And it's by looking at it from that angle. What happens is that all of the various strategies inside of our hypnotic toolbox, every single one of them becomes a universal method for change. So I bring that up because there's a funny anecdote. There's someone who went through a training of ours recently, and as he was interacting with the material inside of the hypnoticworkers.com program, as he was going through hypnotic workers, he sent me this message that kind of called out two things. And he was someone who was already working professionally as a hypnotist. And the two things were, first of all, you somehow ruined every other training that I've been through up until now. You've ruined them, and you also enhance them at the same time. How could both be true at the same time, though? The reality was is that up until that point, he had been putting specific hypnotic techniques 
up on different pedestals. And you've heard this before if you've been around these communities. This technique is better than that one. Don't use this method for that situation. That's not a good hypnotic induction. That hypnotic induction isn't even a hypnotic induction. This is the one true model. And th this game of kind of putting up different methods as if one is better than the other, when at the end of the day, how do you feel now? How would you rather feel? What are those things you're doing now? What are those things you'd rather be doing? And it's once you have those four basic questions and engage in a proper intake strategy, well, first of all, your client doesn't realize it, but when you ask the right questions at the right time, your client begins to speak in code. And again, they don't know this, but they're actually telling you every single technique that they need. Even so, to really double down on this principle here, it's that then through a conversational influence strategy, you can actually bounce every technique you're about to use off of the client conversationally to then ratify the change process is going to be effective even before the actual close your eyes, let's begin session starts. So it comes around to this theme of confidence, creativity, and flexibility, which for those of you that are brand new to hypnosis, I'd highly encourage, let this be your primary filter. Let this be that focus where you put your emphasis in terms of this ongoing journey to become better and better at what you do. And for those of you that are already trained and perhaps even out there working, let this be a bit of a refocusing on what are the core principles that actually, let's say, drive the needle of change and take standard techniques that, again, let them then become world-class. So the confidence, creativity, and flexibility encore, we've only ever done this, I believe, four or five times over the years, which would be this concept of the encore episode, because honestly, I was going to wake up early this morning and record a version 2.0 of this week's episode, of a previous episode. And I went back and I listened to the original just to take some notes, and I went, yep, we're doing an encore, which encore in our world is a fancy way of saying either replay or uh, perhaps like old television shows, rerun. Yet uh, I listened to the original and went, yeah, that's even more true now than it ever was before especially as it's a uh, world in the profession that's kind of, this is not even a word, uh, protocolizing. Protocolizing. I think you understand what I mean when I say that. But this concept of this technique is different than that one. That special situation requires certain circumstances. And yes, there's going to be some of that at all times. Yet there seemed like a no better time to resurface this previous episode from a number of years ago. Because I would say, as it's probably been about seven years since what you're about to listen to first aired, I would actually say, now that I've heard it myself, it's more true now than it ever was before. So again, if you're brand new to hypnosis and you're listening to this episode this week, let it be a new refocusing of where to put your energy, where to put your attention, what to actually work on, as opposed to, oh no, I need more methods. Yes, you do. Yet at the same time, it's how you apply the methods that really makes the change. And for those of you that are already trained, perhaps even working, already seeing clients, let this again be that refocusing in terms of where the attention really ought to go and the old little riddle that you've got one mouth and two ears. Open up that sensory awareness, listen to what your client says. That's going to tell you exactly what to do 
in the session, which whether you're new or whether you're already trained and working, that's why as a quick mention, I'd say head over to hypnoticworkers.com. This is that program I mentioned earlier from the guy who said, you ruined and enhanced everything in one simple move. Hypnotic Workers is the all-access pass to the online version of my entire hypnosis training library. Techniques for change, powerful inductions, NLP principles applied to old classics like progressive muscle relaxation, a rethinking of the classic Dave Elman induction, made use of tonalities, letting it really become a masterclass in hypnotic language, as well as embedded commands. And it's not about this technique works or this technique doesn't work. It's instead, how do we amplify everything in our hypnotic toolbox to become even more powerful and even more effective? And hey, let's continue this little classic conversation in our hypnotic world, because no, we don't need any more scripts. Instead, what we really need are transcripts. Because if you were ever to look at a script, it's better to look at it as not something to sneak out of your pocket and read once the client's eyes are closed. No, instead, a script is as if it were a transcript of one specific practitioner with one specific client on that one specific day for that one specific issue. And and now it's something that can be studied to pull methods out of. Now it's something that can be reviewed to see what direction the process went and how you workshopped all the different pieces of the puzzle together. And that's why, in the words of Jurassic Park, we, sh- we spared no expense. We have had every single word of hypnotic workers fully transcribed. And there are real client sessions inside of this program. Uh, not just classroom demos. And yes, we do have a couple of those, but there are real client sessions from genuinely walking in the door to hang up your coat over there to have a seat to then thanks so much see you next week i mean the entire process from start to finish fully transcribed hypnotic workers is where i've been given permission to publish quite a few of those including one for those of you that are already in it if you're inside of hypnoticworkers.com the sleep improvement with stephanie videos are interesting because uh, you see me struggle. Uh, it'd be easy just to publish the, oh, this session went great. Wow, look how look how talented I am. Wow, I'm handsome in that one too. No, it, this is a session where she was referred to me by a doctor. She was sleepwalking and eating and not remembering it. And first of all, even I'm impressed that the change occurred in two sessions. Yeah, and but you see that she did not come in through my usual streams of how my clients would find me. And you see me have to kind of backtrack, work harder to regain the rapport, which then had a little bit of a a blip, not for any offensive or, you know, inappropriate reason. It's just that things that usually had been already established were not there. So to see how you handle the process when, simply put, there's more work to be done, that's something to be modeled because it's not a matter of resistant clients. It's a matter of, again, confidence, creativity, and flexibility. Otherwise, that session would not have gone the way that it then clearly did. So check that out. Head over to hypnoticworkers.com. This is not membership recurring payment. No, instead, it's either single join or brief installment towards lifetime access. Find all the details and watch the video at the top of hypnoticworkers.com. And with that... Here we go. It's an encore. Episode number 377, The Confidence, Creativity, 
and flexibility encore. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here, and in this video, I'm going to share with you some characteristics, the cornerstones of what I feel are the necessary components of becoming a great hypnotist. In my opinion, it comes down to three very simple bullet points. There's flexibility, there's creativity, and then there's confidence as well. And let's begin to unpack these individual components. First of all, there is flexibility. And as we're talking flexibility, what we're really talking about here is adapting to a client-centered approach to hypnotism, which is basically the idea of fitting the process to the client rather than the client to the process. So a good example of this would be a day several years ago where by wonders of scheduling, I had a day of like seven or eight scheduled appointments that were all people in my office quitting smoking. And not for the sake of novelty, not for the sake of mixing it up and keeping it fresh. I did an entirely different process with each and every client, which again, hear that filter. It wasn't for my satisfaction of doing it differently. No, it was for the simple reason that each and every client presented a different style, a different flavor, a different set of goals even as to why they were in the office on that specific day with the goal of quitting smoking. So by having a more flexible process going into it, there's no moment of this is right, this is wrong. There's only what's appropriate on that specific day. As the late Charles Tebbets would say, deal with what emerges. So I would share some anecdotes of this over the years. Here's a day where there's a woman in my office and let's stick with this quitting smoking idea. Here's a woman in my office and she is here on about her 82nd birthday and she's quitting smoking because in her words, it's about time I did this, which the motivation of health really wasn't the motivator for her. The motivation of in her words, being allowed to be around her great, great grandkids was every reason why she was wanting to quit smoking at that point. So to go this high road, low road game of here's all the horrible things that could occur within your health, I would have been throwing darts at that point and there wasn't a target there to hit. That would not have been the right approach for her. Meanwhile, here's another client by way of example that has many different we'll call them health scares that are going on in terms of their current life. And perhaps playing that high road, low road game of here are these things that could get worse or potentially even better could improve now that you quit smoking. And that may be the perfect choice in that moment. And to completely throw the curveball at this, here's the guy that we're having a beautiful conversation about his history of when he successfully stopped smoking in the past. And suddenly he leans in and this dude is playing conspiracy theory with me about, I am convinced that, you know, the, the 1% that's out there, they are investing their money both in the cigarettes as well as the pharmaceuticals. So whether they're killing me or making me an addict or hooking me into these drugs, that's why they want me to keep smoking. So for this guy, that session became, to use his language, the biggest middle finger to that 1% as to why he was quitting smoking and no longer playing into their games. I can tell you I've never done a session like that before or ever since then of that style. 
And by learning how to work in a more flexible style of working with your clients, that's what it takes to be a great hypnotist. The opposite of this would perhaps be, there's a hypnotist who I met one time whose statement was, oh, I love parts therapy. I absolutely adore parts therapy. And there's not a client who comes into my office that I don't end up doing parts therapy. I've got to raise a question to be again, is that a practitioner that is truly listening to their client and adapting the process to the client rather than having a greatest hits album that they're just simply running their client through. If that's the case, I've got to raise some concerns about just how skilled of a practitioner they absolutely are. So as we work to actually improve our flexible nature, deal with what emerges, it makes it so that suddenly here's a client and this will happen to you at some point. On the phone, this was the issue they presented, yet now they're in front of you in your office and suddenly it's a very different issue. And to discover that calm nature of, yeah, we've got this, this is gonna be easy, let's work on that together. It's where there's not a challenge that can come your way that perhaps you're not ready for in some aspect, which in many ways links into the confidence because in terms of my style of training, it comes down to creating what we consider to be a contextual nature of working with our clients. Rather than compartmentalizing these individual components of this is a stop smoking technique, this is a weight loss technique, this is an anxiety relief technique, this is a fear release technique, this is a pain relief technique, no. To break everything down to being a chunking up, a contextual nature of change, how do you feel now? How would you rather feel? What are those things you're currently doing and what are those things you'd rather be doing? And from that component, from that perspective of working with our clients, we discover this gradable, flexible, as well as confident nature that there's really not an issue that someone could come into the office that at least you don't have a good idea of where to begin. I would share the favorite component of this. With full credit to Jerry Kine, I love this aspect of his training. He would tell his students, no matter what someone calls for on the phone, tell them, oh yeah, we work with that all the time, that's easy. And I love that. I have a small challenge with that because simply put, I do not want to lie to my clients. And there's a wonderful story though of a client calling me up and it's one of those moments where she's playing the slow reveal. She's not quite getting to the point of exactly what the issue is. And admittedly, as you hear the wind up for this moment, it's a place where you could start to imagine the dark potential places this could possibly go. Well, my husband and I have been very traditional. We did not live together. We did not sleep in the same bed until we were married. And already my mind is wandering off to all these weird places. And eventually she lands on the issue itself. And I just recently discovered my husband's jaw clicks when he eats and he refuses to go to a dentist and it's driving me crazy. Could you hypnotize me so his clicking jaw doesn't bother me anymore? And for that when I'm sitting there on one side thinking to myself, that's it? On the other side, I feel this compulsion, this urge to respond to her as I now do. Oh yeah, we work with that all the time. That's easy. There's a beautiful pause. She then responds, really? 
and I have default in the honesty. No, of course not. That's weird. However, I work with clients all the time. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm a few miles away from a major airport, and there's major traffic. There's planes flying overhead. And what about that person who suddenly, by their work, is transported to this area and now is having to deal with that noise for the first time in their life? And they talk to someone like me who used to live near a naval air station with jet noise overhead all the time. How do you live with that? And what's my common response? Live with what? So, yes, I work with people continuously in terms of tuning down the fears, the anxieties, the added stress of all this noise that's around us. So the same way that I can work with those people and find great success in terms of their corner office in Washington, D.C. with all the traffic noise, the loud environment at work and how to respond to that. It's the same methods I can use with you so that clicking jaw doesn't bother you so much anymore. You know, in a related category, depending on the pronunciation, sometimes referred to as tinnitus or tinnitus, a ringing or actually, as I used to have at one point, a buzzing static sound in my ear. Very often, the tactic of working on that is not trying to completely eradicate the noise, yet instead to change the reaction to the noise. And by doing that, though, the awareness of the noise completely goes away. So again, it's a category that I'm very familiar with, yet the category specifically of the husband's clicking jaw, that I admit is new. However, the same tactics I've used over here are the same tactics I can use with you over there. Sound good? And I get this resounding, oh yeah, and she and I work together, the clicking jaw issue is gone, and down the line husband eventually goes to the dentist. Even just a few days ago, a woman in the office, now, this is a great little business tip. I specifically made it a point to get feedback from this client because it is such a specific niche category that I see so frequently these days. And we'll cover some details in terms of how to work with this sensitivity to noises. Yet she's in this environment where their air conditioner is an old system and it's loud. There's people talking nearby and it's troublesome to her, which again, contextually speaking, it's the same issue. Yet I tell these stories in this little module here in terms of flexibility and confidence, at least where we are right now, and creativity at this point, to basically point out the components of how this all comes together. The flexible nature of how to modify techniques used in other categories. The creative structure to realize that if I take a step back and I view it from a different angle, what's similar? And the confidence beginning to rise to realize I've got the skills and abilities to address this. So let's officially then move over to this concept of creativity. And let me give credit where credit is due to Scott Sadland. He's the founder of the hypnothoughts.com website. He's out in the West Coast. He runs the Newport Clinic. And there's a quote that I heard him say of, be a chef, not a cook. And I think that's one of the best ways to really sum up this creative component of how to become a great hypnotist. You know, so often as we're brand new to hypnosis, we get that magical book of scripts, and that would be that magical thing that we need to help our clients. And recognize that I am a person who doesn't completely buy into the concept of scripts are horrible and you should never touch them. It's perhaps one of the fastest, most efficient ways to become rather skilled at hypnotic language patterns and learn from what others have done and then modify it and model it for yourself 
and then implement it with your clients. So scripts have a time and place, and as Roy Hunter would say, they are training wheels. And eventually we wanna get rid of the training wheels and then just simply work with our clients. So this phrase of be a chef, not a cook, I can point to various times at a restaurant where we used to live downtown Baltimore and there was this sushi place that was across the street from our apartment. And the only reason we would often go would that the sushi chef at this restaurant just had this creative spirit to him where you learned over time, just order a couple of things. Because if he recognized you as a suddenly there was extra food showing up at your table. Little things he was playing with, things he was experimenting, combinations that he was just testing out to see what people would like. This one day that he delivered this Peking duck sushi roll, which was absolutely phenomenal. And still, we visited there a few months ago. It's not on the menu, yet he was still there. So it was that moment of, could you make this again? And what he delivered to our table was not exactly the same thing we were fed that day, yet it was an even different style of how to address that concept of it. As opposed to there are you know franchises that are out there, there are chain restaurants out there. And setting aside the quality of the food, you could imagine a McDonald's Big Mac is going to look similar and taste similar whether you're in Alexandria, Virginia, where I am, or Phoenix, Arizona or all over the world. There's a moment where I was becoming a little bit more health conscious with my, uh, with my eating. And we're at a, I think it's a chain, it's a Philip Seafood restaurant, and I was ordering a steak. And I just simply asked the question, could you pass along to the cook, the chef, that I don't want any extra fat added to my steak? There's probably enough marbling in the steak. Just, you know, do it just with the natural marbling, maybe a spray. And suddenly this becomes a moment where, let's go there, the cook is coming out to talk to me. I use the word cook because he's now revealing to me that that thing is cryopacked inside of a little plastic container and the seasoning, the butter mixture is already a part of that steak. Okay, yeah, I'll have that. So he's basically following a sequence of orders in the back. So this creative nature, be a chef, not a cook, it ties into these other components. The three feed into each other. So this is where the style of training that I'm sharing with you here is one about building that creative structure. Let's no longer compartmentalize techniques as being only good for one specific thing. I'll give you my favorite example. It's in my opinion that glove anesthesia, a method of hypnotic pain relief or pain prevention, depending on the tactic, which briefly, it's a process of creating a numbing sensation somewhere in the hand, and then by way of hypnotic suggestion, transferring that numbing sensation elsewhere throughout the body. Classically, you could look at the Dave Elman example of the magic spot where you would transfer that numbness to a region and the child or eventually the adult would want that spot and that's where they would get the vaccination or perhaps I'm going in for some sort of dental procedure, I can transfer that magic spot to that area, or in the area of pain relief, if I'm having this consistent uh, headache that's been cleared by a doctor for me to hypnotically relieve, 
to take that numbing sensation, assuming that numbing is an appropriate sensation, and now send that into the area and then relieve that discomfort. So recognize again that this is a technique that classically has been pigeonholed as a pain technique, a pain relief, pain prevention technique. However, let's take a moment and think about this contextually. Let's be a little bit more creative about it, as it were. Here's your stop smoking client who's in front of you. And you know what? When I get that craving for a cigarette, it's just like this lump in my upper chest. Hmm. There's a physical sensation that this man would like to change. Do you start to realize how we could create that numbing sensation, compound it by moving it around the body, and then send it in the area to completely neutralize that unwanted sensation? No longer a pain relief technique now, is it? Well, you know, when I get anxious when I'm at work, it suddenly shows up as this throbbing sensation in my head. Ooh, there's a feeling that this woman does not like. Do you see now how, with a little bit of creativity, we can actually start to modify this classic pain technique and change its applications and widen our tool belt of how we can better serve our clients? This is a little component where I also I live by the phrase in terms of hypnotic age regression that regression ain't just about finding the cause. If we're a little bit more creative with our components of what's inside of the hypnotic age regression category, there's affect bridge technique of heightening a sensation and riding it to another event. Well, can't I also bring up an incredible sense of confidence and ride that to a moment where you felt absolutely fantastic and then build a resource, build an anchor out of that? Absolutely. So rather than pigeonholing regression as this technique of raking them through the coals, dragging them through the mud of the past events, no, let's be a little bit more creative and just play that game of what's really happening as we're addressing these components. So by pulling out that contextual point of view of what's going on inside of these techniques, it allows us to be more creative. This folds in my favorite hypnotic quote from Michael Elner, which is to learn from people who disagree with each other. So if your background, if hypnosis is something you've already been doing, and you've heard others say that regression is bad, go take a full training in hypnotic regression, yet listen through those filters of what are the components of this process that I can pull out and apply somewhere else. If you've heard people, I've never heard this one, someone say, don't work with hypnotic pain relief. Yes, there's a whole series of ethical considerations that fold into that, which is a much longer conversation outside of the scope of this content here. Yet to realize that our pain relief, pain prevention techniques have other tactics we can use elsewhere. So it folds in my favorite bit of phrasing here in terms of creativity, we should never stifle the creativity of another hypnotic practitioner. There's a moment where I left another school of training because I heard someone ask about what's a good metaphor to use for an athlete. And I heard someone say, you never need metaphors for that category, just use this technique. And that was backed up by the uh, people who were heading up that group. And that's when I left. Because, well, what if there's a moment where using a metaphor is going to be the perfect example? It's where just simply opening up your ears, opening up that sensory acuity, and even bringing in your own experiences, the successes of other clients that you've worked with so far, 
it's going to bring in a greater flexible nature, a greater creative nature towards it. And the beauty of that is every day in the office now becomes an entirely unique experience, not just for your benefit, but also for your client as well. And to tie up these themes of the characteristics of a great hypnotist, let's spend a moment talking about confidence. Confidence is an interesting thing. Yes, because confidence is something that will grow more and more the more that you do hypnosis. Now, specifically over the years, I have changed the way that I train hypnosis because I do feel confidence is something that can be taught. Confidence is something that can be earned and gained even inside of a training environment. So yes, there is truth to the fact that just simply the more that you do it, the better you're going to get at it and the more confident you're going to become. That's absolutely true. Yet in terms of how we talk about hypnosis, how we approach it, do you realize by having a more flexible style, the client calls you and you're now more confident that you can address what they want to work on? Do you recognize as well that by realizing there truly is a creative style, a creative approach to this? So in my training, it's not my goal to create a bunch of Jason Lynette clones out there. Instead, it's to help you understand at times the insane level of thinking behind what I do and why I do it. And by doing so, discover your own creative style as well. And by doing so, your confidence begins to rise. So there's a phrase that I hold back from, which is the quote of fake it till you make it. Though there may be some truth to that, isn't there? Let's put it into our hypnotic neurological components though, and let's rebrand fake it till you make it as instead of fooling the neurology. There's an interesting story of, and I've shared the story elsewhere I know, but I love this quote of Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, the French magician that you've likely never heard of, but a young boy by the name of Eric Weiss read about Houdin, modeled him, and Eric Weiss changed his name to Harry Houdini. Houdin was once quoted by saying that a magician is an actor playing the role of a magician. Magician is the actor playing the role of a magician. And a hypnotist is really stepping into a role, stepping into identity, stepping into that perception of a hypnotist. So it's where you may become aware, the more that you do this, of what it is about you that is slightly different as you're delivering hypnotic suggestion. What are these components of yourself that are becoming a little bit heightened as you're communicating with your client? So there's truth to the classic statement that the first person you hypnotize is yourself. So whether that's a formal self-hypnotic experience to briefly close the eyes and envision yourself, imagine, picture, think of yourself going through that experience where there you are working hypnotically with clients and then step into that reality. If that helps, by all means, make use of that experience. It's a quote that I've got to read this, and I love this quote from Dave Ellman, specifically because it sounds like something pulled from a Lord of the Rings book. In hypnosis, credibility, confidence is the coin of the realm. Credibility is the coin of the realm, which in many ways, if the client does not have confidence in you, they will not have confidence in the process. And likewise, if you do not have that confidence in yourself, it's that phrase that people can smell fear. People can smell 
that unnatural feeling to the sensation of the experience. So on one side of things, fold in the simple reality. The more that you do this process, the more confident, the more skilled you're going to become. Yes, we all wish we could call back our first clients and say, no, really, come back, I got better. And also at the same time, by learning a more flexible and creative approach to hypnotism, it's going to begin to build that confidence even further. So a few other points here would be that as you're brand new to hypnosis, how do we build that confidence? Well, this is a place that my first recommendation is to stand on the success of your profession. So perhaps there you are and you're starting to see clients for the first time. And maybe someone asks you, have you ever worked with this fear of flying issue before? Now, I do not want you to ever lie to your clients because it's dishonest and lying is bad. Instead, though, it's a place where recognize you can stand on the success of your profession. Well, hypnosis has a long history of being very effective with helping people to release fears. In fact, there's interesting experiences, interesting stories of people releasing fears in a matter of moments. So there's really no correlation between the length of time that someone has had a fear and how quickly they resolve it as well. To fold in some of the tenets, some of the principles behind what's now been deemed a fast phobia cure from the NLP model would be that it only takes a moment to learn a fear. So therefore, it only takes a few moments to learn something new instead. And what am I doing there? I'm standing on the success of my profession and sharing that information in terms of how we work with fears. Well, what's your success rate with quitting smoking? Well, in various university studies concerning hypnotism and the effectiveness of quitting smoking, there are studies that show results as high as 85 to 93 percent in terms of the efficacy of hypnotism to help someone quit smoking. So as you're brand new to hypnosis, realize you can borrow the confidence of your profession by standing on the results that we've worked with. Along with that too, what about the fact that some of you may be brand new to hypnosis? What about the fact that some of you may just be getting trained for the first time? Well, it's a place where, again, I do not want you to lie to people. Instead, though, it's a place where you can stand on your passion, stand on your interest. And in fact, even better, brag a little bit about the approach of training that you've been going through here with me, which would be that simple perspective, well, I've had a lifelong interest in personal change as well as hypnotism. And I've recently been trained in the most up-to-date thinking in hypnosis and the methods to effectively create rapid belief shift and change in a much more organic fashion. Isn't that an interesting phrase? So. Your concern may be, and I run into this all the time with potential students and consulting students as well. Yeah, but what about this person in town has been doing hypnosis for 40 years? Why would they come to me? I just got trained in hypnosis when this person has been doing it for 40 years. Well, again, it's that phrase, I've had a lifelong interest in hypnosis. And I've recently been trained in the most up-to-date techniques to create rapid change. So you're posing that scenario now where someone wants to work with someone who has been recently trained, recently educated, as opposed to the person who may be using these out-of-date techniques. So as we roll forward in this experience together, characteristics of a great hypnotist, bring it always back to the flexibility, the creativity, as well as the confidence. And think of this as the three legs of a tripod 
perhaps. If one of them is beginning to become weaker, then the tripod begins to lean over a little bit. The foundation is not as strong. So recognize those components that perhaps need that little bit of a shift. And whether it's reviewing more of this information that I'm sharing with you, whether it's reaching out, attending a convention, taking a workshop, whether it's doing a little bit of work on yourself in terms of improving that confidence. In my opinion, that's what it takes to become a great hypnotist. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for leaving reviews online. And right now, head over to hypnoticworkers.com. It's the all-access pass to the digital version of my hypnosis training library. Learn at your own pace, build up your skills at your own speed, and really enhance that confidence, creativity, and flexibility. Check that out right now at hypnoticworkers.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.